Welcome to the New City Church Podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor Joel Littlefield is preaching from Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17, and the message is called The Effects of the Light. We hope you are blessed by the message today. Good morning, church. Uh, We have actually two passages this morning. We're going to be reading one from the New Testament in our study in Matthew, and then we're going to be flipping back to Isaiah in the Old Testament. So it's Matthew 4 and Isaiah 9, if you want to put your fingers there, if you're using a paper Bible like I am. Uh, If not, maybe navigate that app really quickly. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. This is the word of the Lord. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and those dwelling in the region in shadow of death On them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray, church. Lord, we praise you for the light of Jesus Christ that shined on the world, the true light that gave light to every man, You are the light of the world. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Many of us in this room today, we only see the light because of your grace. You are so merciful. Open our eyes today. Believers that are in this room, unbelievers yet to surrender to your lordship. Shine your light on this place, Lord, through your holy word. And give us ears to hear. And give me the words to speak, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Matthew 4 has been a blessing already. We had a little bit of a lesson last week on temptation and Jesus enduring through the trials that he faced in the wilderness. Seeing some of the parallels that we were seeing already earlier in the book between Christ and Israel, their trials and Jesus' trial. Him being the true Israel that through the wilderness overcame all the temptations and fulfilled all that was asked of him by the Father. He resisted the enemy in our place. And so that was a great, great takeaway from last week. What Christ has done for us that we could not do. Where we fail, he does not fail. And we are overcomers through him who loved us. 
Now this messianic ministry of Jesus is about to officially be underway. That's how a lot of people speak of this passage. After his baptism and the wilderness, he then kicks off what would be his official adult ministry. This season that the Bible records for us. And I'm so grateful for that. But this is the, the official kind of kickoff of that ministry. And here's how it starts. We've already read it, but let's just review. It says, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. So something has prompted him. John the Baptist, which we've already read, has done his part of announcing the, revi- the arrival of Jesus. That ministry has already taken place. See, the Gospel of Matthew doesn't include all the details of the other Gospel writers. But we know that there was a period of time that has gone by since the bat- baptism of Jesus and the beginning of his earthly ministry. But Matthew just comes onto the scene and after the wilderness experience says, then he heard John the Baptist was arrested and now he's in Galilee. But there was a great ministry that had happened. It was actually quite the scene that John the Baptist had disciples. We know that. He had people that followed him. And that as John began to point to Jesus, we know that even his disciples started to get a little bit confused. Who do we follow? Is it you or is it we go to Jesus? And John would say what? Go to Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look at Christ. Look to Jesus. But John's ministry of announcing uh, Jesus' arrival has been done. Jesus has now overcome the temptation of the deceiver. And then he emerges victoriously uh, from the wilderness. Some time has gone by. John is arrested. And he's now in Galilee. That's a big... We don't actually know how much time that's uh, encapsulating, but it's, it's a good chunk of time. At this point in Jesus' ministry, the wedding at Cana has already happened, which Matthew doesn't record, but John does. And that announcement of, behold, the Lamb of God, that has already been done. So Matthew takes us to a place that he thinks that we should see here. Other gospel writers, thankfully, we have this vantage point from different accounts showing us other pieces of Jesus' life. Why did Jesus end up in Galilee? Well, here's what it says. When, they heard, or when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. And I think one thing that we can know is that Jesus isn't being prompted to go to different territories based on fear. So Matthew isn't saying, well, when he heard that John was arrested, then he was afraid and started figuring out, where should I do ministry? It's not where Jesus was deriving his instructions from. He wasn't fearful. He wasn't worried. But he's moving about by divine providence. He is going where he was intended to go. And so Matthew does what he's done many times already, is he brings up a, a fulfillment of prophecy. Why is Jesus in Capernaum? Why does he settle in Galilee? The same spirit who led Jesus into a time of testing is now leading him into his mission field. It's the same spirit that also moves in our life if we serve Christ. It is the same Holy Spirit that allows and sometimes even drives us into times of testing that is also going to lead us into times of ministry and where we are going to serve him, even directly telling us, here's where you need to be for this season in your life. And sometimes certain parameters, the news of John the Baptist in some way affected Jesus' decision. As he's thinking about this, John was arrested, Jesus moves into Galilee, into the Capernaum region. Now this was an, this was an unexpected place 
to begin Christ's ministry. He's, in a worldly perspective, the king of kings should have gone to Jerusalem. You would go to the political center. You'd go to the economic center. You'd go to these places where you'd have great influence among the most influential people in the Roman Empire. But he doesn't begin there. So why Galilee? Why Capernaum? They had a heavy Gentile population, and we know that because he says he calls it Galilee of the Gentiles. And because the fact that it's not the political center and it's not the economic center, it tells us something about who Jesus is actually trying to reach in his early ministry and something that we can find great comfort in. So other than the fact that this was to fulfill prophecy, the answer as to why did Jesus go to Galilee is found in the context of the Scripture. Looking at the context, and so we have to go to the next verse to see what is Matthew trying to tell us. Why did Jesus go to Capernaum? It says in verse 13, And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived at Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And here's the prophecy. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region, a shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. You have to do a little bit of history. And if you don't know it, I'll just tell you the history. Zebulun and Naphtali are both tribes of Israel. What? two of the 12 tribes, they represent, in this context, in this prophecy, they represent exile and captivity as a result of disobedience to God. Matthew is drawing our attention to two tribes of Israel that have a unique place in those 12 tribes, that these two had a certain level of disobedience and behavior, and the, the prophet actually marks them out specifically as a place of darkness and a place of disobedience. In 1 Kings 15.20, you don't have to turn there, but I want you to just take note. There's two times where we see these two tribes mentioned as being taken captive. One is a, is a lesser captivity, and then the other one was much more serious. The first one is 1 Kings 15.20, and the second one is 2 Kings 15.29. The first one is a, a smaller army. The second one is the Assyrians, both of which take them into captivity. In fact, let's just turn over and look. So 1 Kings 15.20. I said don't turn there, and then I said turn there. So, I don't know. Do what you want. Um, <laughs> 1 Kings 15. And then, uh, so 15.20, and then 2 Kings 15.29. All right, 1 Kings 15.20. Here's what it says. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel and conquered Ajon, Dan, Abel-Beth, Abel Mekah, and all Chinneroth with all the land of Naphtali. Okay, so Naphtali is, in conclude, is concluded in this, or included in this captivity that is mentioned. Now flip over to 2 Kings 15.29. I just want you to see where it is in Scripture. The Scriptures do all tie together. New Testament and Old, they, they're... They're in harmony with one another. So 2 Kings chapter 20, excuse me, chapter 15, verse 29. 2 Kings 15, beginning of verse 29. If you're there before me, go ahead and read it. No, I'm just kidding. 
says this, In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and captured, similar names, Ajon, Abel-Beth-Mekah, Genoa, Kadesh, Hazor, Gilead, and Galilee, all the land of Naphtali, and he carried the people captive to Assyria. Now, feel free to go and dig. What was all this? Now, this, this is people, human beings, being held captive by Israel's enemies. All right? Twice in history we see this taking place. In chapter 8, I'm going to have you turn again to another place. In chapter 8 of Isaiah... Look at verse 21 and 22. I know we had referenced chapter 9, but look at Isaiah chapter 8. This is all going to make sense. Isaiah chapter 8, beginning in verse 21, and we'll read 21 and 22. It says this. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry... They will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. This is the Lord's pronouncement of judgment upon his people because of their disobedience that a time of anguish and darkness was going to come upon him. You need to know this. We always need to know this, that disobedience does deserve consequence, and that consequence, according to Scripture, is the judgment of God. That God certainly does judge his people, and oftentimes what we see is, though he judges his people, in the midst of that is so much mercy. Warning because of judgment that's coming, the reality of judgment, and then great, great mercy. So here we are. We're seeing a connection already between Matthew and Isaiah. And this is what's on Matthew's mind when he directs us to chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. You know that if he's going to reference chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, he knows the previous 12 verses. He knows chapter 8. Look at verses nine, chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, 1 and 2 again in, in Isaiah. He says, but, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea The land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. That's the context that Matthew is thinking of when he's thinking about the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. This is meaningful, guys. If if Matthew, led by the Holy Spirit, is viewing Christ's coming into this world and beginning his ministry, and he goes... I know what's happening here. I know Isaiah chapter 8 and 9. That's Jesus. This land that has been covered in deep darkness is all about to change. The gloom is about to be gone. Matthew directs our eyes to Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. 
Now, it's not an exact quote, and that actually helps us. What Matthew says in his gospel is not an exact quote. So if you were to go to Isaiah 9 and really compare it verbatim, you'll notice he seems like he's paraphrasing. That's even better. Why? Because you can think of Matthew as a human. Yeah, he's being inspired by the Spirit here to write. But what he's going, he's connecting the dots. He's going, I know what this is. And it's like he's telling his writers. Now, remember, when is he writing this? (laughs) Matthew's not actually, I don't believe, following Jesus around, recording all of this. This is years later, and he's recalling the life of Jesus Christ. And he's connecting the life of Christ with ancient texts that have always predicted the coming of the Messiah that would come into a land of darkness and a world of gloom and sin and bring light. He's predicting it. And so Matthew, as the author, I just love it all the more. It makes it all the more authentic that he writes this and kind of paraphrases it, but he directs us to a true scripture that says, this is who Jesus is. This is the man we're talking about. Matthew is, I think, here. Now, we can't know this for sure, all right? There is a little bit of speculation here. But again, the author is writing this. Matthew is writing this. You want to know where Matthew lived? Where's he from? Capernaum. Jesus came to Matthew's hometown first. So you've got to know that that's saying something to Matthew. Matthew's personal account, his testimony, is actually included in here. We have it. We referenced it in the introduction several weeks ago. But look over at Matthew chapter 9. Just be reminded of this man's call to follow Christ. Start in verse 1. We'll just reference verse 1, and then we'll move down to verse 9. Matthew 9, verse 1, it says, And getting into a boat, this is speaking of Jesus, he crossed over and came into his own city. What's Jesus' own city? Capernaum. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. So that's just establishing that they had returned. They crossed the the river. They're now in Capernaum at Jesus' home city. Right? This is where he set up his base camp. Look down at verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Guys, Matthew's life was just changed in an instant. He went from being a greedy, sinful, pride-filled manipulator, taking advantage of all of his people by collecting too many taxes, and at the words of Jesus, follow me, Matthew drops everything, leaves his tax booth, and becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ. A changed man. Why? Because of the grace and the mercy of God. Because of the power of Christ. Not because of Matthew's own goodness. Not because he decided for a good change of scenery. The tax booth wasn't getting stuffy. It wasn't about that. His life was changed. He was called by the God of the universe to follow him. And it's a similar call to what all of us, hopefully, have heard and have responded to. And if not yet, that is the call on your life. The call goes out to everybody. Many are called and few are chosen. But the call goes to everybody. Church, we are called to invite everybody. 
And what is the call? Follow Jesus Christ. Lay down everything. Turn from your life of sin and rebellion against God and put your eyes on Jesus because he is God. And there's nobody else that can save or change your life or forgive your sin and nobody else that can give you eternal life with God the Father. It's only Jesus. So you have to know, as we sort of connect these dots, with this being Capernaum as Matthew's hometown, also the first four disciples we're going to see next week, the first four disciples are also called from Capernaum. The light has come to Capernaum. Jesus Christ is on the scene and he's calling men to follow him. And Matthew's connecting that with this old prophecy. So some of you might be thinking, well, I thought Jesus didn't have a home. So we'll just briefly, so the scripture doesn't say he bought a house there, right? What does the Bible, the Bible tell us about Jesus? He did not have a place to lay his head. He did not own property. There's no part of uh, history that tells us that Jesus established um, his own home there. Actually, many tr- traditional, uh, historical tradition tells us that he potentially lived with Peter. Um, and there's other thoughts on that too. But that was where he set up his home base. And from there, he would go out and serve and preach and, and do all sorts of amazing miracles. But this is, a, this is a testimony that Matthew is sharing. He's sharing his own testimony. I really want us to grasp that in this sermon today. That this is a human being's testimony of Christ's light and what it does to a human life that is in darkness. That's what I want you guys to see. So let's just kind of focus there. Think about that through the rest of this time together. This was personal for him. All who are without Christ are in darkness. Hear me. All who are without Christ are in darkness. What is the solution to darkness? Getting elementary on us here, guys. What is the solution to darkness? Light. Don't feel like you've got to find something more magical than that. This is simple. Childlike faith. If you're in the darkness, what do you need? You need light. And who is the light? Jesus Christ. Matthew actually brings it to something a little bit broader than his own life. He does say, this land, Naphtali and Zebulun, it represents darkness, gloom. The shadow of death was upon it. And on them, the light has shone. Who is the light? Jesus Christ. So not only does Christ change one life, but he can actually transform an entire community. He can take a community that is in deep darkness and bring it to light. But it does happen through the preaching of the gospel and through one man, one woman at a time, hearing and receiving and following Jesus Christ. You want to see change in your life? Don't seek the change. Seek Jesus. We don't, make, we don't put all of our effort into changing our lives. We put all of our effort into seeking Christ who simply shines light. He is the light on the darkest sins that we have. But we wonder what happens when that light is exposed. We also see, or the darkness is exposed and sin is, we also see the truth. Because it is truth that is now being spoken to our hearts. And Christ is that truth as well. So all who are without Christ are in darkness and need light. The scriptures are not silent on what this darkness looks like. We can go to many places 
Ephesians chapter 2 expounds on this. Are you familiar with it? The prince of the power of the air, you who once walked in darkness. This, was, this is the life of every person born into this world, to walk in and follow darkness, completely enveloped in it. It's how we were born. That's what Scripture teaches. That is the truth. No matter how you've been enlightened by the world, you cannot be enlightened enough to actually escape darkness. Remember, only Jesus does that. Because he is the light of the world. He is God of all gods. But that darkness is deep. Actually, the doctrinal term, the theological term for that is depravity. It's something that not many like to talk about. Nobody, want to re- nobody wants to rejoice in depravity. Like it's, it's not a popular thing, but it is an important thing. Depravity is the human being's utter inability to get out of that darkness. And it is so dark that you cannot see the light. That phrase is often made fun of, right? Like, ah, he's seen the light. And somebody who begins to follow Jesus, people will make fun of him. I think he's seen the light. Whew, it's not a joke. People do see the light. But it's by the power of God that they see the light. They didn't read a self-help book. The Holy Spirit came into their life and changed them, gave them sight so that they could see that Jesus is who he says he is. But that light is necessary. The darkness is so deep. It goes even further that we are given a description of the end being a time of deep outer darkness. When all is said and done and the judgment has been cast, all who are outside of Christ in this world and die in that state go into outer darkness. And what comes to my mind always when I think about that is the plagues that came upon Israel or excuse me, the, cl- the plagues that came upon Egypt from God, the darkness that was so dark, you could feel it. You felt the darkness. Maybe you guys have experienced things like that. Something that at least was tangible to that. I don't know, a cave, some cavern somewhere. I've heard about it. You go into some cave where there is not light for at least 400 yards outside of the cave, and there is nothing. And your tour guides, they shut off the lights, and it's so eerie. You can feel it. There is an eternal state that is described this way. Outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what we're told is that Jesus Christ is that great light that shines on lives now and frees us from that darkness that gets us out of our place of sin and frees us through the forgiveness of Jesus. Let's read these words again. Matthew 4. I just want to expound on it a little bit more. This prophecy. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, and this is what it says, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. They have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Matthew doesn't just use the word light, and neither does the prophet. But actually he says the word, the word great light. That's specific. On them a great light has shone. Not just a light, but a great light. A clear, vivid truth. Piercing. The 
piercing truth of the gospel. That's what we're supposed to be thinking about. The piercing truth of Jesus Christ and his light is what was necessary and is necessary for people who dwell in darkness and in the shadow of death. I just want to ask one question to those who might be in this room. Are you in that place of darkness? Be honest about this. Be honest about this yourself. Is, are you walking in the light of Christ or are you pursuing your own world, your own worldview, your own gain? Are you pursuing your sin or are you just apathetic and don't care? You are in darkness. And on you, if you are to be free from that, it is only the great light of Christ that can change that situation. A clear, vivid truth. Don't seek after pretend truths. There are many who claim to speak the truth. There are many things in this world, many religions that feel right and enlightening. Why? Because it's new. But I think this is going to be clear to you. Satan disguises himself as an angel of what? There's no wonder that in every world religion, outside of the gospel, there is something that's enlightening. There's something that feels like it's right because Satan is a deceiver and puts a little bit of what seems like the truth into every world religion and seeks to deceive the masses when Jesus Christ is clearly the light of the world. Some people hate the light. Maybe that's you. You hate the light. John 3.18, turn over there. John actually spoke a lot about the light. John chapter 3, verse 18. Let's read the verse, let's start in verse 16, familiar passage, and then we'll go down through all the way to verse 21. For God so loved the world. Can we do this, guys? If you have, uh, well, all you ESV people, follow along with me. I'm just kidding. I was going to say, let's all read it together, but there could be like 12 versions in here. So forget that. Forget it. I'll just read it. You listen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. Here it is. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. That just exposed something, hopefully in every one of our hearts. Do you hate the light? Do you hate it when the word of God shines truth on you? Do you even hate it right now? 
that there's something that's being said about you that might be true, and so you want to push it away. May it not be the case with anybody in this room, but that the Holy Spirit would move and say to you, come into the light, the light of Jesus Christ. Don't hate the light. Love the light that is Christ. The judgment is this, that the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. This is exposing light. This light exposes that if you hate the light, here's who you are, a lover of darkness. That's who you are if you hate the light because your deeds are wicked. And I'm not, this isn't casting judgment because that's the truth about every person before they come to Jesus. Every person before he draws them to himself to see the truth. That's every person. So you're not in a different boat if you're here today and you say, well, that's me. Well, I thought, what's wrong? How did you guys all get this advantage? No, there's no advantage for anybody. It's the grace of Jesus Christ. It's God's sovereign grace to call and draw us by his word and his Holy Spirit. So that's a plea from the word. Step into the light. Let the light expose you. Don't hate it. Any inkling that you believe the Holy Spirit is calling you or drawing you or saying, yeah, it's time to, time to walk in the light. Stop loving the darkness. Stop doing these, dick, these wicked deeds that are so evil. Stop this. Look to Jesus. Look to Christ. Any inkling of that? Pursue it. Run after it. With faith. You have to believe it. What I mean by believe it is not some, you know, if you just believe in yourself. No, not in yourself. Put faith and all of your trust in Christ who did this work of shining light on this world and exposing the darkness. John the Baptist also bore witness. Look at this. John chapter 1. Look just to the left a page or two. John chapter 1, verse 6 to 13 just want you guys to see and hear more about light. The more we can hear about light today, I just think this is what's we, what we need to hear. So John chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, verse six down to 13. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is speaking of John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. He's saying that John the Baptist wasn't the light. He was just the forerunner. He was pointing to the true light. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John the Baptist pointed to the true light. Best part of our job as ambassadors for Jesus Christ is to be those who are, Christ said that we are the light of the world, or we are lights in this world, but Jesus is the ultimate light. So not only are we smaller little flashlights like trying to show people where to go and being salt and light, but we're ultimately saying, look to Jesus, look to Christ. We're just here to bear witness. He's the true light. 
Maybe that's something that can give you a little bit of wisdom. Do you have anybody in your life that's trying to help you by pointing you to somebody other than Jesus? Do you have anybody in your life that's pointing you to some other book, some other guru, some other theory? And they're saying, here, this will help you. But it does not contain the truth of Jesus Christ. They are not your friends. They're not your friends. In fact, if you listen to them, you are being steered down the wrong direction and you are walking into deception. You are hearing the truth today because it's from God's word. God's word is true. We bear witness about the light. Jesus is the light. He came into this world and his own did not receive him. What is that talking about? Those who were most likely to receive him, the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, they didn't receive him. So where does Jesus go? He goes to Galilee. He starts his ministry in the land of the Gentiles. There's a good Jewish population there. We know this because he calls Jewish fishermen. He calls those are his disciples. And that was his plan, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why? Because to them was given the oracles of God. To them was given the prophets. They They were most likely to take this message, connect the dots with the prophecy of Jesus, and then spread it to the world. But it was his plan the whole time, was it not? To bring it to all nations. So, So here, embedded into this Jewish man, Jesus Christ, starting his ministry with Jewish disciples, where does he do it? The land of the Gentiles. A place where Gentiles had grown in population. And Jesus gets a lot of ridicule for that, doesn't he? He's, they're eating with sinners and tax collectors. Can you, can you guys believe that? That's, that's happening there in Capernaum. As he goes after Matthew comes to Christ, where do they go? to Matthew's house. And who are his friends? Other Roman tax collectors. That's exactly what Jesus wanted us to see. That's what Matthew wants us to see. That even on the Gentiles, even on the nations, even on those who are far from God. Now think of it that way. The person who is far from God, Jesus cares about. So if you're far from God tonight, today. It just makes sense to say tonight. It's like a revival meeting. Just kidding. <laughs> I have dinner plans. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Great. Now I lost track. It was too fun. <laughs> if you're too far, if, yes, 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 please. Let's just get back to that. If you are far from God this morning, if that is the case, and that is the the reality of your heart. You know, you know what the Holy Spirit would have you do. And it is by faith to cry out to Jesus Christ and to believe in him, to f- put your faith in him. Another description of this region is given. It says, those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, another, another metaphor, another metaphor for the person that is without Christ in the shadow of death the grip of death. This is how serious we're supposed to think of this life before Christ, a life outside of Christ. It's like being in the shadow of death. So what do we need to do? We need to pray. Pray that light would shine on every area of your life, expose the darkness, and that Christ would deliver you. That he would expose the sin but that he would also expose to you who he is, the only Savior, the God of all gods, who came in the flesh 
to die in the place of sinners, to suffer a suffering that no human being has ever comprehended. Why? Because Jesus was perfect. He was not an average criminal. He was the innocent God who died in the place of sinful people like you and me. That made the suffering all the more heavy. And he did it for us. So we need to pray, and you need to pray. And you know, you know these areas. Oh, this area of my life, my marriage, my, my education, my, my trust in you, my job. The places that I struggle with sin and the darkness and I've never told anybody. Mark said it earlier. Are you bold enough to say, Lord, search me? Ask the Lord to search your heart. What are we, what are we, what are we here for? Why, why, why would we want to waste time just playing church, right? I've said that a couple times here, but I think it needs to be said. It's not enough. We are followers of the Most High God. And He is either real or He's not. It's either exactly as he says it is, or this whole life is a sham. And I'm telling you, Christ rose from the dead. Amen. Turn to Psalm 107. We're going to end our time just hearing the word. I'm praying that as this washes over us, that God would work in our hearts through just the power of his word. Not my words, but his word. It's a long psalm, so buckle in, pay attention, ask the Lord to speak to you. If we can throw it on the screen, it's the whole chapter, Psalm 107. That way, if you don't have your Bible, please follow along. But here's what I'm going to do. We're going to do like in the days of Ezra, except we're not going to go for hours, like a half a day reading the Bible. <laughs> we're going to, it'll only take us a few minutes. But would you guys stand? Everybody, stand. Let's give honor to God's word. As we read it, ask the Lord to change you. Whatever stands out to you, let God's word just wash over you. And then I'm going to give us a challenge when we're done with this. Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Some wandered into desert places or desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way until they reached a city to dwell in. Let them, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. 
Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities, suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down into the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy winds, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at the wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. For his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in it. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful land. By his blessing they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. You can see those who trust in the Lord receive the blessing of God's grace and his mercy and those who rebel and turn from him always plummet into destruction. What is this psalm telling us? Remember the steadfast love of the Lord. Cry out to him in our affliction. Turn from our wicked ways to our holy God. Listen to how this ends, guys. He says this, the upright see it and are glad. What happened in the land of Naphtali in Zebulun? They saw a great light. They saw the light of Christ. I'm simply asking today that 
as we have been, we've, we've been face-to-face with the Word, we all want to be in this place where we have, we have a moment of decision. I'm not forcing anything. I, I, I hate manipulation, all right? That's not what this is. But we're face-to-face with God's Word, and we are a church family. Again, if you're a member and you're like, this is weird, <laughs> just bear with us, guys. This is God's Word. This is real. And if you've never been to a church like this, I'm so sorry. <laughs> You need, to, you need to be at a church where the Word of God is reverenced. And where maybe you look a little bit silly sometimes because you know you have sin that needs to be confessed. So we're going to go into a time of communion in just a second. And uh, I'm actually going to ask the band to come up now and you guys can start playing. But I wanna, what I want to do is I want to pray but I'm going to challenge you. Is the Lord impressing upon your heart something that you need to confess? Are you walking in the ways of the Lord or are you walking in compromise? Maybe you need to come to Christ today. That's not for me to tell you to do. It's for me to call you to the gospel, to believe in Jesus Christ. Some of you may need to just surrender and just give up. And say, I'm just going to trust in Jesus now. So, yeah, in front of the whole church body, is the Lord putting on your heart that you need to confess your sin and repent and be prayed for by your church family? Are you willing to say, I need Christ today. I need to walk in his light and you want your church family you guys can come on up. We won't confuse you with those. <laughs> but I do, I'm asking for you guys to consider whether you need this. And if you come forward, what will happen is we're just going to pray for you. That's it. And the whole church family can pray for you. And ask the Lord to deliver you from the sin that is gripping you. Or maybe you're just in a place where you're like, you know what? My marriage is messed up. And maybe you and your husband or you and your wife, you come down and we just pray for you. And the whole body prays for you. And we ask the Lord to deliver you from the affliction, from the hardship. And to use the strength of the church body and the, and the witness to the gospel to just say, we're trusting you, Jesus. That's it. It's not a It's not a show. So, is there anybody in this room that would say, we need to confess, we need to repent before the Lord. There is sin in my life, and I want to be prayed for. If that is you, then come down front. Just stand right here, and a group of people will surround you and will pray for you. If that's you, you need to do that right now. The band will start playing lightly, just to give us a little background music. That's fine. But this is serious business. It's time to take care of business. Some of you have been walking compromising lives. One foot in the world, one foot in the church. No more pretending. Just come down if you're ready. Anybody?
Praise God, brother. Can you have a few people just come down and be with these guys? We're going to pray. If anybody else needs to come down, just come down. You can raise your hand so we know who we're praying for. Anybody else? Come here, guys. Church body, if you're, if you're not down here and, you, and, you, and you're saying you don't need this prayer, but you, you want to pray for these people, let's just extend a hand to them. Let's, let's ask the Lord for deliverance. Oh, Father in heaven, we are your church. We are not perfect people. We have so many sins that beset us daily. We know that as Christians, we, we walk in the righteousness that is in Jesus, but oh God, we are so tired of compromise. There's times where we just fail, and it's because of our own strength. It's too weak. We are not able. I pray for Caleb. I pray for Josh. I pray for any other people who are down here for this prayer. I pray for marriages in this room. I pray for those who are just simply feeling weak, that there's compromise, that there is sin that they harbor, Maybe anger, maybe bitterness, wrath against their children, maybe against their spouses, unforgiveness, maybe just a misfocus, misdirecting their eyes onto things that should not be seen, things that should not be done. Lord, forgive us even for the thoughts that we think sometimes. I pray for these, my brothers and sisters, Lord, would you free them and deliver them? Thank you for the cloud of witnesses, the cloud of witnesses that have walked faithfully with you. And Lord, that it is about faith in Jesus. It's not about living perfectly for you. It's about faith in the one who came and conquered. So in light of that cloud of witnesses, may these look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Lord, let us no longer be beset by these sins, these things that, that weigh us down, but let us cast them aside and put on the armor of Christ and walk in the light. Thank you, Jesus, for the light that has come. So I pray that light would shine on every home that is represented in this room. Some of our church family being at home, maybe witnessing this and thinking, why am I not at church? <laughs> so I pray, God, that, we, that every home, every family that is part of this church family, Lord, that you, God, would have your way. Make us powerful witnesses for you. How can we witness for you if we walk in compromise? How can we do that, Lord? How should we, who have been freed from sin, walk any longer in it? We who are justified. Oh, Lord, help us in our weakness, Lord. When we try to forgive, and it's so hard to forgive, when we try to walk in the truth and we keep believing lies from the enemy, Lord, give us a heart for your word that is like nothing else. Your word is a light and a lamp. Lord, shine your light. We love you, Lord. 
And we pray as a church family, as a body, in the name of Jesus Christ, that you would be victorious in every person's life, all of us, but Lord, especially these who are confessing and saying, I need you in a better way, in a new way, in a stronger way. Lord, help me to cling to you. Help me to cling to you. Help these brothers and these sisters, Lord. And we, as a church family, pray in the precious name of Jesus, who shed his blood for us and conquered sin and Satan at the cross. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise you, God. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more messages from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next week.